You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, I'm certainly glad to be back with you this Sunday after being in Mexico with our uh, go trip to Piedras Negras, and we had a wonderful time. Uh, Northside, you know, we have been a part of that work with Crossroads Mission for 10 plus years, going consistently, but this was my first time to go. My wife, Leah, and our daughter, Kaylee, and I went for the very first time, and we had a wonderful experience. I, I really think that this is probably one of the best large group uh, trip experiences just because of the wide range of ministry. I mean, it was wonderful. We had great bus drivers going down. Steve and Shanda uh, were driving, serving us well. Uh, when we got there, there was all kinds of things to do. There were times where we could bless and encourage the refugees that were there at the ranch, refugees from Venezuela and Honduras and El Salvador. Uh, there was uh, times where we could play with the orphans at Casa de Paz. Uh, we would frame walls, move mountains of dirt, and uh, pour a concrete slab for a house, teach English at a couple schools, not to mention just a healthy dose of hanging out with one another and even a few other churches for some fun and connections. Uh, this trip really did provide a lot of great experiences and shared ministry. There are, of course, too many stories to share in our time together this morning. Uh, so just know that John Presco and I are going to be putting together a time when we can report on this trip. And so you can stay tuned for those details. We'd love for you guys to be a part of that. Let me just share one story. We go to the ranch and... Um, we're there with uh, refugees. We see the large tarp-covered tent area where each of them have their individual tents, their homes, as they wait for their appointment with immigration. And we got to meet uh, Merlin and Johanna. They were pastors in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. One night, that, you can see in this picture here, uh, they're in the middle, Vanessa on the right, that's our translator. And uh, while we were visiting with Merlin and Johanna, we uh, found out that not that long ago, there was a gang that showed up at their door one night there in Tegucigalpa, threatening that if they did not give them to the gang, their 13-year-old son, that they'd come back the next night and kill everybody. And so Merlin gathers his family, they get everything that they can, and they flee that night, that very night, they're out. And uh, some friends of theirs living next door got video footage of the very next night when the gang did return, only to find an empty house, trying to make good on their promise. And um, so here, Merlin and Johanna and their family, they're there in uh, Piedras Negras, and been there for a short time. And yet, they're already bringing about change at the ranch. They're in their community. He's been preaching a couple times each week, leading Bible studies there, and Judy, who leads there at Crossroads, she said it was always hard to go to the ranch. It was always such a discouraging place filled with arguments and dissension and violence and all kinds of other dysfunction. And she says, but ever since Merlin and Johanna have been there, things are changing. It's a different place now. And when we prayed with Merlin and Johanna, you know, where, you know what they were concerned about? Obviously, they were concerned about wanting to get their appointment very soon so that they could be with family in South Carolina. But they said, really, our hearts are concerned for this place. What's going to happen to this place? 
when we leave. And so we want to join in that prayer right now. Let's pray. God, we lift up our brother and sister, Merlin and Johanna, to you. We're thankful for their faithfulness, even in the hardest of situations. When uncertainty is right in front of them, and they can't see two feet in front of their face, but we know that can be a wonderful place to be because it allows us to see you. We pray that you would keep their eyes open for the opportunities that you're going to have in store for them, both for where they're eventually, hopefully, going to land up, but even the opportunities one day at a time in front of them. We pray you'd give them boldness. We pray you'd guard them from the enemy. We pray that you would raise up others who can be at the ranch to be a voice for the gospel in that place. Thank you for hearing our prayers, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. It really was a great trip. We had all kinds of things. Heart-wrenching stories like uh, Merlin and Johanna's. Uh, great encouraging stories like Romero. Uh, he's wanting to plant a church there in Piedras Negras. And uh, so glad to connect with him. I mean, obviously, you're going to have standard things on trips. You know, inside jokes, uh, language debacles, all that kind of stuff. And so thank you, Northside, for being a part of that trip. And God planted good seeds. And heaven's eternity is going to reveal the harvest. Is it possible that the most significant message that the world needs to hear is one of the simplest. There was a famed theologian by the name of Karl Barth. He was asked this question, what is the greatest thought you ever had? There's a question. What's the greatest thought you ever had? His response, Jesus loves me, this I know. Or the Bible tells me so. Is it possible that the most significant message that the world needs to hear is one of the simplest? There was a famous art gallery. A visitor went to go on a tour through the gallery and was taken around by one of the attendants. And of course, in this art gallery were many masterpieces. Masterpieces beyond all price. Works of genius. uh, Works of fame. And at the end of the tour, the visitor turns to the attendant and says this, Well, I don't think too much of your pictures. I don't know if that's how that person talked. That's just how I have it in my head. Well, don't think too much of your pictures. And the, the attendant turned to the visitor and replied and, and said this. Sir, I would remind you that these pictures... I don't know if that's how he talked. I just, that's how I have it in my head. Sir, I would remind you that these pictures are no longer on trial for they are masterpiece. You have to say it like that masterpiece theater, right? They are masterpieces. They're no longer up for debate. It's been decided. What I offer you today from our text in John chapter 3 is a masterpiece. John 3, 16. It's not up for debate. It's a masterpiece. One person refers to this as the crown jewel of the New Testament. Now before we read this text, let me set it up. I just kind of want to curate the gallery before we feast our eyes upon the masterpiece. The Gospel of John was written by the disciple John. He was one of Zebedee's kids. He was a Jew's Jew. Uh, This same man who earlier in his life, during Jesus' ministry, uh, was not too crazy about people outside of the Jewish family. We see that in a couple different instances. He's kind of a hothead. Later on, though, after the resurrection of Jesus, he's a completely different person. It's likely that John's gospel would be one of the last 
to be written. His audience is different from the other gospel writers. The people he served came from primarily a Greek culture in Asia Minor. And even though, yes, they were underneath the Roman Empire, they were still holding on to that Greek culture. And so John realizes that as the kingdom of Christ expands past Jerusalem and it expands past Judea and past Samaria into the Greeks, that the other gospels which had already been written probably will not work very well with this particular group of people. So under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he takes it upon himself to write his own account, the gospel of John. Now, the gospel has always been a living message, a message delivered with skin on. Because if all God wanted us to have was information, he would have sent us a book. But he wanted a relationship, so he sent a person. The gospel has always been delivered with skin on. And we get to illustrate that in a pretty cool, significant way. I'm going to ask that Caitlin Lamming would begin to make her way on up to the platform. Uh, Hopefully you'll recognize Caitlin. Uh, In the same way that we send the gospel to people, we do it by sending people to live out the gospel. And part of that is taking the Bible to Bibleless people. And that's what Caitlin is all about as she works with Pioneer Bible Translators. I hope you recognize her face. Hope you've had the chance to connect with her. So Caitlin, just tell us a little bit more. Uh, I know you were up here last week. Tell us a little bit more about Pioneer Bible Translators and how that kind of ministry dovetails really well with how John presents his gospel. Yeah, thanks guys. It's a joy to be up here and worship with you guys this morning. Uh, Is it okay if I tell you a story about my friend who we'll call Jay? Is that okay? Yes. Awesome. Okay. So my friend Jay actually was an international student at Missouri State, and she is from a closed country, meaning this country is not open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was co-leading a Bible study with one of my friends, and she was attending this Bible study, and we actually were in the same passage that Corey is about to preach on. And something that he's going to point out is that um, the verse says that you can only see the kingdom of God if you were born again. And this, this student had been studying scripture for a while, and she looked across the table from me, and she said, Caitlin, you can see things in this scripture that I can't because you've been born again. And that was a really powerful moment, and it's such a joy to tell you this, but she actually has become a believer. She's back in her home country and learning how to follow Jesus in a really hard climate. So let's just praise God for the salvation of her soul first. Now, in the Bible that she was reading, it had both English and then the language that she knows the best in her heart. And what was really important about this is that John 3.16 needed to say in her language that God loved the world. It's really important that it didn't say things like God used to love the world or God might love the world or God sometimes loves the world. Right? That's a really important life and death message. And so it's really important in translation when we're going to different countries and we're sharing this, this message of uh, John 3.16 that it actually says what it's supposed to say in the context that makes sense for them. So all of that being said, I want to give you another invitation. Last week's invitation was to pray. This week's invitation is to go and learn and pray some more and go some more. (laughs) Um, So we're having an event down in Dallas, Texas, June 4 to 7 this year called Discovery. And basically it helps you figure out what are your gifts, your passions, your sense of calling, and how can you be obedient both here and overseas. It helps you learn what God is doing in the world in terms of the gospel going forth and how you might be a part of that, whether you're an agriculture 
culture or business or teaching or language or administration or whatever it might be, God has a place for you in Bible translation because it takes the whole world to translate the whole Bible for the rest of the world. So thanks, Northside. Um, I, I want you to see your role in this um, and so that we don't just dismiss it uh, because the way that the Bible is translated, it does really matter. Several years back, um, my wife and I had befriended someone, one of our international students from China, and uh, she had gone back to China after studying, and she continued to read the Bible. She was reading in Genesis 1, about on, on day 7, God rested, and she said, now does that mean that God took a nap or that he died? Like, he rested in peace? I was like, okay, um, let's do some explaining here, all right? And um, I feel like when we approach the text, we have to do it in our heart language Mm -hmm. so that it actually makes sense, so that we get the truth that will change us. That's what Pioneer Bible Translators is doing. And so um, we want to partner with with Caitlin in that work, and uh, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. So check your calendars, look for that uh, event in Dallas, and I know that um, she would love to tell you more about that. You'll be up here at the end of the service, correct, if people have more more questions? Yep. Okay, all right. Can we show our, our appreciation? Champion this good work. Thank you. And I want to encourage you uh, just to know that uh, because Caitlin is one of our workers uh, that we support on a regular basis, when you give your offerings to the Lord, part of that goes to further that good work. And so we want to encourage you to give as an act of worship for kingdom expansion. We've got the black boxes around the room you can give your offerings, or you can see on screen uh, the way that you can give online. Um, The Apostle John, he lived this incarnational gospel. He did this. From the very beginning of his gospel, he reveals that Jesus is both fully man and he is fully God. He's a man who can relate to all people, no matter what family you come from. And he's a man who does miraculous signs. And Jesus is a man who zealously cleans house in the temple. So, naturally, Jesus is going to catch the attention of the religious elite there in the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus is one of those guys. The Bible says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. To be a ruler meant that you were a presiding officer over the synagogue. You know, kind of big stuff. Important deal. And yet, he didn't seem to let that go to his head because he arranges this meeting with Jesus, this brand new rabbi, to get to know him. And we can't be entirely sure why Nicodemus wanted to meet at night. It could have been just because the secrecy that the darkness would afford. Uh, Maybe it was because in those days, the rabbis really uh, held in high esteem these night studies of the law. It was just their pattern, their tradition. So maybe he just wanted to do that with Jesus. We don't know. But it is here in this setting, under the cover of darkness, we get one of the brightest lights in the Bible. And as I read this text, I just want you to Put yourself there. Use your imagination. It's nighttime. I want you to imagine that you're eavesdropping into the private conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. 
Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't, don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How? How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, we testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown be accomplished. By God. Amen. Can you see it? I want you to get your Bibles out to John 3. We're going to look up to God through this text. I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate here that this message might seem quite a bit like a bit of academia. I don't want us to get bogged down in it, but I feel that as Jesus has a conversation with one of the religious elite, it's okay for us to put on our own thinking caps as we study this passage. Now, regardless of Jesus's, or excuse me, regardless of Nicodemus's apparent flattery and his desire to start the conversation in one direction, Jesus responds with what kind of seems like a disconnected idea, and it's this. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, period. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Jesus is stretching Nicodemus. He is pulling him outside of commonly understood and accepted ideas. And at first, he doesn't get it, this idea of being born again. I mean, obviously, it's in his first question. How? (laughs) How is this even possible, Jesus? So Jesus answers that question, provides an image that Nicodemus is kind of familiar with, the image of baptism, In verses 4 to 8, Jesus says that a person cannot come into the kingdom of God unless he experiences new birth into that kingdom. You see, the way by which we are born again is through water and spirit. The way we're born again is through water and spirit. Notice, Jesus does not say water then spirit. These are not two separate events. They're combined into the same event. We have expressions where we do kind of the same thing. When we say things like, it's raining cats and dogs, that's one storm. It's not raining cats, then dogs. We say things like our job is our bread and butter. That's one mainstay. It's not bread, then butter, right? We put these things together to show one thing. Being born of water, 
would have been understood by Nicodemus. That baptism was fairly common in the day. We know that John the Baptist had already been serving and ministering. That was a baptism of repentance. We also know that when people would have converted from whatever pagan religion they were involved with into Judaism, that oftentimes they were immersed into that new way of living and a new allegiance to Yahweh. But here, Jesus combines the new birth of the water and the Spirit, and I think it's reasonable for us to assume that John wants us to interpret that as Christian baptism, because in the very next verse from where we stopped, John chapter 3, verse 22, we find that even Jesus himself is baptizing. So we see this parallel idea that runs between verses 3 and 5, and you can see it on this chart here on the screen. I think they can kind of run side by side. In verse 3, it says, Jesus replied. Verse 5, Jesus answered. Verse 3, truly I tell you. Verse 5, truly I tell you. Verse 3, unless someone is born again. Verse 5, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit. Verse 5, or 3, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. These verses are only two apart, but I think Jesus is trying to make this point to Nicodemus. He's wanting him to see that the only way to enter into the kingdom of God, even right here and right now, is for us to receive a new birth through the event that comes through the water and the Spirit. Here's, here's what I love about this. I love that Jesus still acknowledges that there's some mystery in this. He mentions it when he gives the image of the wind. We know that in the New Testament, the wind is oftentimes a vision or an idea of the Holy Spirit. And he says, look, you don't know where the wind is coming from. You don't always know where it's going. You can see the effects of it. There's still kind of this mystery in this baptism. I believe it contains some mystery. I mean, how is it that the passive act of getting completely dunked in water gives me access into this present kingdom? It might sound a little odd, but I trust Jesus, and I act based upon that trust. The early church did the same thing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the disciple Peter shared the good news on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem, and people responded, and they said this, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The command here is to be baptized, not to baptize yourself. It's a command for something you allow to be done to you. It's not a work of man. It's something that is done to us. It is the Holy Spirit who is bringing us into this new kingdom, into this new way of living. So, in light of that, Perhaps today might be just a great day for you, prime opportunity for you to be baptized, to enter into this new kingdom, this new life with Jesus. I would love to visit with you about that, pray with you if you feel that the Holy Spirit is nudging you to enter the kingdom today. I just want you to know, if you're like, why didn't you come prepared? It's okay. We got everything. We got everything you need. We got towels. We got clothes. We've got uh, hair dryers. We've got um, oh, water. We've got water. Uh, It's all ready to go. You don't have to worry about a thing, okay? But even after Jesus explains all of this, Nicodemus still has a question. It's kind of the same question he asked earlier. How? How is this even possible? And the short version of how Jesus answers that question is this. Faith. Faith is what makes all this possible. That's why entering the kingdom is a matter of faith first. We believe and our actions follow that belief. And Jesus gives us a perfect example that is going to speak directly into the heart of Nicodemus. Let's talk about Moses, shall we? 
Jesus speaks Nicodemus' language. We're going to talk about Moses. This is verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He's backtracking all the way back to Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 to 9. The Israelites were there in the desert, going through the wilderness, and they're dying because of their disobedience to Yahweh. They're dying from snake venom there in the desert. So God provides a way to heal the people and stop the snakes. The irony is that he used the very same tool of destruction to provide for their healing. But their healing did not come until... Their healing did not come until... Until they looked. And I don't know if they thought it was some, some... like sick joke. Okay, we're dying by snakes. I'm supposed to look at a what? A snake? Real funny, God. The healing did not come until they looked. And I just wonder if there were any Israelites who were dying going, I ain't doing that. That's sick. It took faith in Moses' words. It took faith for them to go, This sounds ludicrous to look. And that's when their healing came. It sounds ludicrous that God would use a beat up Jewish carpenter on a cross to provide my eternal salvation. But when I put my faith, when I step first in faith, And I look. I think that's what he's trying to communicate to Nicodemus. In the same way, the only way that God has provided healing to come to us is as we look in faith to the one who was lifted up. Here we find ourselves in this masterpiece, this John 3.16, this crown jewel of the New Testament. But before we read it, I just want to ramp up to it with verse 15. And as I read, I'm going to highlight a few words along the way. Here we go. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Let me highlight just a few words for us today. The word everyone is used a lot. Sometimes it's the word anyone. It's the same Greek word. The word is pas. This Greek word appears more than 1,200 times in the New Testament. It refers to the totality of God's work in creation and his salvation through Christ. Now, of course, the exact usage and meaning of that word depends upon its context. But here in our text, it carries the idea of totality of everyone who believes. Everyone means everyone who believes. So let's talk about that word belief. The word there is pastuo. It sometimes means, it carries the idea of to receive, to receive. This, is, this idea of belief is less about mental assent and it's more about life alignment. It's less about mental assent, about what I know to be true, and more about life alignment, the way I live. That my belief, my understanding, what I know, it gets fleshed out in the way that I live. That's 
New Testament belief. The third word that's used a lot is this word world. The Greek word there is cosmos, and it was understood by the Greeks, especially to whom John was writing, as this total world system. Nothing was left out in this word world. The New Testament uses the word 180 times. John is the one that uses it 100 of those times in his five New Testament books. It can refer to the earth or the universe or even all of humanity as it does in our text. And here is this crown jewel. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful painting. But like every painting, it's got a backside. Not very pretty on the backside. There's actually a word that I think is on the backside of this masterpiece. And sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we gloss over it. But it is a word I cannot get away from. The word is perish. The idea of eternal punishment is directly linked in the same breath, mind you, as this idea of eternal life. Verse 18, I think, makes it plain. Eternally perishing is the result of every person in the world who does not receive Jesus. And I'm not sure if that doesn't light a fire under us to promote Bible translation, I'm not sure what will. I'm not sure if that doesn't light a fire under us to tell every person we can, one conversation at a time, about the good news of Jesus. I'm not sure what else will. And we don't have the time to do it right now, but if you read this afternoon, if you go look at the end of chapter, Matthew chapter 24 and all of Matthew chapter 25, I think you're going to see that Jesus' teaching on eternal punishment is for those who reject him, and it should break us. It should crush us. So if I could take all of those words, all of the significance in those words, and put them together, I think I'd package it like this. God. God loved the totality of humanity so much that he gave his only son so that every single person on the whole planet who believes will not receive death without end, but will receive life without end. This is the good news. Must be shared with everyone. And oftentimes, like Jesus and Nicodemus, it's going to happen. One conversation at a time. You do realize, don't you, that the crown jewel of the New Testament was not packaged in a sermon to the masses? It wasn't tweeted by a fan. It wasn't put on TikTok by an influencer. It shows up in a single conversation with one dude at night. That's where we get the crown jewel of the New Testament. And the Bible records Jesus speaking to the crowds only 15 times. But the Bible also records Jesus having one-on-one conversations 40 times. I guess this one-at-a-time thing really matters to Jesus. Here's what I would like to leave you with today. One gospel conversation at a time can change the whole world one person at a time. One gospel conversation at a time can change the world one person at a time. I recently read a biography on the life of William Wilberforce. He was the member of the English Parliament who worked diligently to abolish slavery in England in the early 1800s. There was a time in his life when he was very young where he was very devoted to God. But as he grew up, as he got educated, uh, he was seduced by the academic and political powers of his day. And so he completely abandoned his relationship with the Lord. 
When he was 24 years old, he was quickly rising as an influencer there in Parliament, and he had been working hard, and he thought it was time for a little vacation, and so he took off to go to the French Riviera. That's a long journey in a carriage uh, from England, and so he decided that he would take a companion with him, and he wanted that companion uh, to be someone who he could talk with for a long time, you know, someone who was interesting. And so he reached out to a few friends, and he finally landed on one of his childhood friends, who was about 10 years older than him, but uh, still a friend from childhood, a man by the name of Isaac Milner. Isaac Milner, um, he was um, the Lucasian professor at Cambridge. That post was once held by Isaac Newton, more recently held by Stephen Hawking. In other words, the dude's smart. And uh, so he's on this journey with one of the smartest men in the world. Two-week journey, winding their way through the Alps, and William, William Wilberforce, he uh, quickly learns that not only is this a massive man, Milner, but he's also a devout Methodist man, Milner. And you can imagine where the conversations went hour after hour after hour. Those conversations begin to steer William Wilberforce back toward pursuing a relationship uh, with God, rekindling his childhood faith. But it would be his conversations with another man who would actually change him, change his heart forever. Because in that season of his life when William Wilberforce was seeking the truth of the gospel, he remembered there's an old preacher at East, in East London, a guy he remembered from his childhood. He thought he'd reconnect, a guy by the name of John Newton. John Newton was once, before coming to Christ, he was a sea captain of a slave ship, bringing slaves from Africa to England. His whole life changed when coming to Christ and he had served the Lord faithfully there. And so William Wilberforce goes to meet with John Newton under the cover of darkness, I might add. And it was in that conversation that his whole life changed. And out of that commitment to Christ came decades of faithful work to abolish the slave trade in England. And it was in 1833, just three days before William's death, A young member of the House of Commons told him that earlier that day, Parliament had voted to outlaw slavery in England entirely. I guess one conversation really can change the world. And as we make it our aim to share the crown jewel of the New Testament with the world, we must never underestimate the power of a single conversation because you don't know where it's going to end. It might start very shallow, but end in salvation. I really like how Kyle Eidelman puts this in his book, One at a Time, where he says that conversations can go from superficial to spiritual, from spiritual to personal. So how can we be ready for those conversations? How can we be ready to take a conversation about their football team to the faith to their own fear? How can we be ready to take a conversation about uh, their job to Jesus to where they find joy? How can we be ready to take a conversation about rising gas prices to the risen Savior, to their own rising anxiety? How can we be ready for that? Let me give you just a few ideas here before we leave. First of all, be available. Be available for those conversations. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. We're not sure how that meeting was established, but John makes it clear that Nicodemus came to Jesus, and Jesus was available for Nicodemus. Gospel conversations may come to you And we need to be ready to step into those opportunities even when they're not convenient. Friday afternoon, we had just gotten home from a long trip from Mexico. We're tired. We're hungry. And um, we had thought, let's just get some pizza, you know, for dinner. 
Make, keep it simple. So, Kason and I, we get in the car. We go to pick up little Caesars. We're on our way out. And we say, can you, can you spare some change? I'm hungry. And my family's waiting. It's not convenient. But I don't carry cash unless I go on mission trips. I've got some cash. And I think I've got some time too. And so we prayed and we talked. Sometimes gospel opportunities just come to us. We need to be available. We need to be ready for that. Secondly, seek out opportunities. Kyle reveals this in his book in John chapter 4. Right after our chapter here today, Jesus seeks out an opportunity to meet with a Samaritan woman. The text says he had to go there. He had to have that conversation with her. And um, Kyle put it this way. I love this. He says, if we are compelled to seek out opportunities, we will have far more conversations. Seems logical, doesn't it? If we're going to seek out those opportunities, if we're going to take the initiative, if we're going to be proactive then we'll have more opportunities, more conversations. And one of the ways that we've been doing that here at Northside is through what we just are calling prayer walking, where you just go into an area and you begin to just pray. You carve out some time, you take the initiative to seek out opportunities, and you just pray. And if God brings you to someone that you can connect with, just say, how can I pray for you? And pray with them right there. You might be surprised at the doors that that opens. Something as simple as that. Do you know what what the worst thing they can say to you is? No thanks. That's as bad as it gets. Years ago, my parents went to help start a church in Scotland. And they would go door to door and invite people to church. My dad says, it's the nicest no he's ever heard. Because the Scottish people are very nice. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking. No, thank you. That's just how it sounds in my head. I don't know. That's the worst it can be for us. Just ask. Seek out those opportunities. Number three, speak their language. Speak their language. In other words, meet them where they're at. In a conversational approach, we're not trying to impress anybody with big words, how much knowledge we have. Just start where they are. That's the beauty of a conversation. You don't know where it's going to end up, but you've got to start somewhere. Think about it. Jesus did that with Nicodemus. Let's start. Okay, you're having a hard time with this, Nicodemus. I can see that. How about uh, Moses? Can we talk about Moses? You get Moses. So start where people are at. Speak their own language. And you don't have to be weird about this, folks. Have you? My, the comedian Michael Jr., he talks about, do you know anybody who's oversaved? You can't have a normal conversation with them. You know, you might say something like, you know, boy, it's hot out here today. And they're like, you know where else it's hot? <laughs> Come on. You know? sarcastically, you say, you know, get a life. And they're like, you know, you need to be in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what you need, you know. Come on. It doesn't have to be weird. But just start the conversation. Speak their language. You might be surprised where it goes. Last of all, ask questions. Ask questions. When we ask questions, it shows we value the other person. In the Gospels, Jesus asked 307 questions. And people ask questions of Jesus only 183 times. And he only directly answered three of those, or those questions three times. It's like Jesus is constantly asking questions. There was a great leadership book that came out years ago by John Maxwell called Great Leaders Ask Good Questions. 
He quotes Peter Drucker, who was a management expert, and Peter said this, My greatest strength as a consultant is to be ignorant and to ask a few questions. I would argue Jesus is not ignorant, but he is curious. And his curiosity led to questions, which led to discovery, which led to life change. In fact, I would argue you could probably do these things before you even leave today. You can. Here's how. You can practice today. First of all, don't just bolt out of here when we're done. Stick around. Please pick up your children, but stick around. Enjoy that time. Make yourself available for people. Seek out someone you don't know and ask a question. I'll even throw you a softball. Here's your question. What's your name? Do you know how many Sundays go by where I go up to someone, I don't know their name. I said, I'm sorry, I don't think we've ever met. They said, we've met. Okay. <laughs> tell, tell me your name. You guys been coming like a month or so? No, we've been coming for 11 months. <laughs> okay. All right. It's embarrassing. It's worth it. We see, can seek out those opportunities and ask a question and just see where it goes. You can practice today. The beautiful thing about a conversation is you never know where it's going to go. And in the case of Jesus and Nicodemus, it changed the world. Oh, sure, it might not have changed Nicodemus' life right away. That would take some time as the gospel unfolds. But I do know one thing for sure. That conversation changed your life. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. I grew up listening to Ken Davis. Ken Davis is a Christian author, speaker, comedian. My family had a VHS tape of one of his youth events where he spoke in the early 90s. And amidst all the jokes, he said something that I will never forget. He looks out to the students that are there, all of them with their mullets and bangs. And he said this, you know, if this building were to catch on fire and burn to the ground, I think I would come back for each of you. I'd come back and I'd get you. I'd come back and I'd get you and I'd come and get you and I'd come and get you. I really believe that I would do that most nights, but not tonight. Want to know why? My kids are here. And I will give up my life for you, but I will not give up their lives for you. I refuse. God loved you so much, loved me so much. He gave his son. This is the crown jewel, and you carry it with you. And every conversation, one at a time, becomes an opportunity where you can rescue someone out of a burning building. Maybe you need to Commit your life to the Lord today in baptism. What a great day to do it. I'm going to be in our decision point area. I know Wayne and John, both, all of us will be out there. We'd love to visit with you and talk with you. Maybe you just need some prayer today. And I want you to know that we've got a prayer team. It's going to be down here along the sides of our worship center. Maybe if you're joining us online, you just uh, feel like you need to fill out that online form. Or maybe you, those of you in the worship center, you need some more time to think about it. And you can respond with the information you see on the screen there let us know and we would be happy to respond to you. But I'm going to ask that we would stand right now. What we're going to do here is we're going to declare this gospel message. 
We're going to declare this crown jewel. We're going to take it with us. We're going to change the world with the power of this good news. It's not us. It's the power of the good news that changes this world. Let's sing together. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.